0: I am very impressed on a number of different levels. I've never been to Cloquet, and so this is my first trip up uh, this uh, neck of the woods, and I'm very, very impressed with this part of the world. And uh, my wife and I, we bought a camper this last summer, and we said, we've got to get up to the Cloquet, Duluth area, and do some camping. And so I am soliciting some advice and some direction from any of you that might uh, point us to some uh, suggested campgrounds this summer. Uh, But anyway, very, very impressed with this. This community very beautiful and i 'm um, I'm impressed with this facility, this church facility. I understand that uh, you recently expanded or there 's parts of this that are kind of relatively new. This uh, sanctuary auditorium of worship is really fabulous, and uh, so i 'm very very impressed with that and i 'm impressed with the crowd those of you that are out here on Saturday night, and uh, that is tremendous so uh, i 'm impressed on a number of different levels um, but i 'm impressed also with Pastor Mike and Tr- uh, Trinette um, I uh, I, I met Mike, Pastor Mike, about uh, two months ago. We had an event at North Central University where we invited pastors from our district to come in, and uh, Mike and Chenette were there and uh, had an opportunity to meet him and interact with him, and uh, that's what created the opportunity for me to be with you tonight as he was looking for someone who might preach in his place, and so it's an incredible honor, and I don't take it lightly at all to stand where your pastor stands week after week to share God's word and uh, God is going to help us along the way and I think is going to give us something encouraging uh, tonight. As Pastor Larry mentioned, I graduated from North Central University and was a pastor for about 30 years, a youth pastor, associate pastor, uh, uh, lead pastor in La Crosse, Wisconsin for 12 years and then was lead pastor in Bismarck, North Dakota for nine years. And all along the way, just very, very passionate about the local church. And now I'm in, an op- I'm in a place where we're training up the next generation of men and women going into vocational ministry. North Central, as many of you know, is a university that uh, any student going into basically any field can go, and we're not just a Bible college anymore. But that part of the school, the Bible college part of it, that's the part that I'm still involved in, and uh, training up missionaries and Bible theology students and those going into youth ministry ministry, children's ministry, pastoral studies. And so that field is uh, where I get an opportunity to shape and mold young lives. But because of my position, because of what I'm able to do at North Central, this is my third year, I say it this way to my pastor friends, I work Monday through Friday and I've got the weekends off. So if ever you need somebody to help you while you're uh, out doing a missions trip or on vacation, I'd sure love to help in any way I can. So... It's a, it's a real thrill. My heart, um, and my pastoral experience in the, in what I've done for 30 years lends itself to relationships, lends itself to, uh, preaching out of and preaching into relationships. And so when I come to a community like this, uh, I said, uh, this is the first time I've come to Cloquet, so I don't know anybody in Cloquet. You are the first people I've met. Uh, uh, in terms of who lives in Cloquet, and I want to tell you, I think the people of Cloquet are the friendliest people on the planet, because you've given me a great first impression, yeah. But that's, so it's really great to, go, to travel to different churches uh, but the challenge for me as a pastor, as a preacher, as I bring God's Word, is it takes me a while to kind of figure out uh, who you are, and in light of who you are and your culture and, uh, and where your pastor has been preaching, it, it takes a while for me to kind of get a bearing on God's Spirit and where He wants to take the message tonight. And so uh, with the Lord's help, I feel like there's something very, very beneficial that I'm able to give to you tonight in terms of encouragement in God's Word. I know that you've been in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Is that correct? You've been working through the Sermon on the Mount. And so uh, I'm not going to necessarily... Pr- I, I want to take you to uh, Matthew chapter 7, if you have your Bibles. And uh, I want to read a couple of different sections of Scripture from the Sermon on the Mount. I think that these are Scriptures perhaps that ha- Pastor Mike hasn't preached on yet. But I want to I read a couple of uh, sections from Matthew 7... And, um, and, and, then, and that's kind of a preface for what I want to move into in terms of the topic that I want to bring to you this evening. So actually, if you'll go to Matthew, and I would really actually like to start in chapter 6, starting in verse 25. So if you have your Bible there, open it up, and I want to read starting in verse 25. And here's what Jesus is saying in this most famous message that he preached that we now call the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they are? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Verse 28, And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Tonight, I would like to give you, um, uh, share with you a message that I simply want to call certainty. Certainty. And this word is powerful to me because we live in a time that is very uncertain. In this 21st century, it's not unlike every other era of time. There's always been a sense of uncertainty for human beings living on this planet. But it just seems like the uncertainty of our day seems to be ramped up to new levels. And so there's this incredible sense of uncertainty about life. And Jesus says each day has enough trouble of its own. It was Jesus' way of saying, hey, life is going to have plenty of uncertainty. So how do we respond to that, and, 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 and what would Jesus say next? I mean, it's almost like, Jesus, thanks for the good news. Thank you for telling me that, uh, that every day is going to have plenty of worries for itself because life is uncertain. But Jesus didn't end the Sermon on the Mountain there. He didn't end it. He didn't leave us with a negative sense. It's like, it's like I, he, he was saying, I want you to know, and you already realize, that life has plenty of uncertainty. And I'm telling you to not worry. I'm telling you not to be uh, uh, fearful. But Jesus, give us something to hang on to. So go to chapter 7 and verse 24. He says this, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine... But does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. How do we handle the uncertainty of life? How do we handle it? On January 15th, the year 2009, almost eight years exactly, Tomorrow will be January 15th. January 15th, 2009, Americans and people from all around the world were mesmerized by an incredible event, the story of U.S. Air Flight 1549. Some of you are familiar with that flight. Some of you maybe are not familiar with what I'm talking about. Let me rehearse what happened. On Thursday, January 15th, 2009, U.S. Airways Flight 1549 took off at exactly 3.26 from LaGuardia Airport in New York City. Less than a minute later, Chief Pilot Chelsea Sullenberger reported a double bird strike that caused engine failure in both of the plane's jet engines, requiring a quick return to New York's LaGuardia Airport. Sullenberger quickly was told to divert to the airport in Teterboro, New Jersey. Pilot Sullenberger calculated that the jet couldn't even make it to Teterboro, and he prepared for an emergency landing on the Hudson River. The plane splashed into the water just off 48th Street in midtown Manhattan, where many, many people would have observed it. After staying afloat on the wings of the aircraft for several minutes, all 155 passengers were transported safely by ferries and by the U.S. Coast Guard. It's a fascinating story, isn't it? It's a fascinating story, especially uh, in recent weeks and months, because this story has reemerged uh, into the scene uh, because of the Hollywood film entitled Sully. I don't know if you've seen that, but over the past, over the Christmas break, my wife and I uh, watched the movie and rehearsed once again what took place, and the movie gives us a little bit more of the backstory of what, uh, what led up to the incident and how the incident kind of transpired But the movie really details mostly about what happened after the incident, when there was an investigation that was set forth that sought to find out, did Sully make the right decision? Did he make the right decision? Well, I want you to imagine being one of those passengers. Passengers. Uh, imagine what it would have been. Because the question is, what was the key to the survival of all 155 people on that plane? They were all dealing with a heightened sense of incredible uncertainty when out of their windows they see that the engines are on fire and they feel the effect of a loss of power. Perhaps you are like me. When I fly, I fly with fear. I'm not a good flyer. I fly with medication. (laughs) Literally, I fly with medication because I'm an Assemblies of God minister and I can't drink. <laughs> but I have, I have, uh, I have claustrophobia, and I have a difficulty with turbulence. And so, I literally, I travel with medication. I probably would have flipped out had I been on that flight. But just think about being on that flight, feeling the sudden loss of power, seeing the engines on fire and experiencing what they experienced. How did they survive? How did they survive? What was the key behind this particular incident's positive ending? And we would say that the key point of uh, U.S. flight 1549 surviving and all of the people getting off that plane and living to tell the story, we would say that it's because of the pilot. That the reason all of those people lived is because of the pilot. And we wouldn't be wrong. We would be correct that it really did land on the shoulders of that incredible pilot. But it wasn't just the pilot. It wasn't just the pilot. It actually is the result of the plan. The plan. You think about all the training and all the preparation and all the education and all the years of experience and uh, anyone who knows anything about flying, there are plans that are put into place. There's a flight plan, there's checks and and navigation plans, and there's uh, emergency plans and all of that. And pilots and, and, and personnel are trained to the plan. The point that I want to bring out tonight is, in light of all the uncertainties that we deal with, And from time to time, we face crisis. And from time to time, we face things that hit us out of the blue. How do we respond to those things? How can we walk from church tonight in the midst of a lot of uncertainty in our world today? And perhaps you have personal uncertainties. You're here tonight and you're wrestling, not knowing if your job is going to carry you through this week. Or if you're going to have a job later next month. Or there's the uncertainty of health in your life or in a loved one's life. And there's, there's personal uncertainties. We think that it all rests upon us like, like a pilot. That it all rests on us that we as the pilot of our life have to get it right. Let me just suggest to you that the weight of survival was not just on Sully, but it was more fundamental on the training, on the plan on all that he had invested his life into, that when the time of crisis came, the plan was followed. Tonight I want to address something that uh, is being felt by all of us on this planet, which is the issue of uncertainty. Today, the uncertainties of life have a way of rattling all of us from time to time. But God wants you to be someone like Sullenberger, who's able to respond to the crisis. Who's able to respond to the crisis with confidence because you've been trained by the plan. And what is the plan? You're probably familiar with the passage in Jeremiah 29 where God through the prophet says this, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future, then you will call on me and I will, and you will pray to me and I will listen. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart and I will be found by you. See, there's a plan that God wants us to follow. And that plan gives us a sense of certainty in a time where there seems to be a lot of uncertainty. We're in the midst of a presidential transition in our country, and it creates a sense of uncertainty. We are dealing with a war on terror, and it creates a sense of uncertainty. We have economic issues related to the rebound from our previous recession, and some are saying we're still in the recession. And, and, and so we have all of the economic issues, the military issues, the governmental issues, and it creates this sense of uncertainty, but I want to remind you that at the deep level of, of our lives, the deepest level of uncertainty is not about politics and the deepest level of our uncertainty is not about money and the deepest level of our uncertainty is not even about military. The deepest level of our uncertainty is when we are not hearing God's voice. that in the midst of all of the peripheral uncertainties that we face as people, we can find confidence. As we are experiencing God's voice. God's voice. So I want to encourage you with three things about hearing God's voice. Because God's voice is heard through his word. We as uh, Assemblies of God, people who are uh, people who are focused on the Pentecostal doctrine, Pentecostal experience, Pentecostal spirit-filled living. Spirit of God gives to us His voice in supernatural ways. I believe God gave us a, a word tonight from our sister that was, was greatly encouraging to us to surrender our lives to Him. Not just in word, but in deed, all of us, re-surrendering our lives. And so the Spirit speaks to us, and all that we listen for God to say to us, we line it up with His word. And so tonight I want to talk about the importance of God's word, how we from God's word can follow the plan so that by following the plan when the time comes and the crisis hits, we can respond like a chief pilot, like U.S. Air 1549, with confidence and find that God brings us through. So certainty from God's Word. Why should we trust God's Word? Number one, if you're going to take notes, I'm just going to give you three uh, basic ideas, understandings of God's Word uh, to encourage you to continue to be men and women uh, of God's Word. One of the things that we get from God's Word is we get answers. The Bible is the plan because it gives to us answers. Uh, Gilbert Keith Chesterton was famously known as G.K. Chesterton. He Uh, passed away in 1936, but he was a brilliant intellectual. He was a larger-than-life British journalist who had a voracious appetite. He smoked cigars, and he weighed about 300 pounds. But he was a heavyweight intellectually, most importantly. He had a keen grasp on human nature, and he had a sharp tongue that could cut to the bone. And if you knew G.K. Chesterton, you either loved him dearly or you hated him at a very deep level. On one occasion, an individual asked him and said, Chesterton... Uh, I would like to know this, that if you were stranded on a deserted island in the Pacific, I would like to know what one book you would want to make sure that you had. If you could only have one book with you, what book would you have? And this young reporter, was was he even before Chesterton could answer, the young reporter basically said, I bet you're going to say that you'd want to have the Bible with you because he knew that Chesterton was a religious man. And Chesterton said, Ab- actually, no, that's not... The book that I would want. If I only had one book on a deserted island in the Pacific, I don't want the Bible. Oh, then I bet because you are a literary uh, individual, you love literature, you probably want the works of Shakespeare on that deserted island. And Chesterton said, No, I, I wouldn't want the works of Shakespeare. Well, what one book would you want if you were on a deserted island in the Pacific? And Chesterton said, actually, if I was on a deserted island and I could only have one book, I would want the book that is entitled, How to Build a Ship. (laughs) What's the point? The point is that in times of uncertainty, no one cares about philosophy. What we're interested in is how to, how to. That's why in, in today's world at Barnes and Noble and other bookstores, the most popular books that are being sold today are self help books, books that explain how to. Probably the most popular section of Barnes and Noble or whatever bookstore is the dummy books, you know? Dummy, you know, whatever for, you know, explaining to us plain and ordinary people how to do what we're struggling to get done. And in our pain and in our uncertainty and in our troubles, we want to know steps one, two, three of how to get out of this mess that I'm in. How do I land this plane? And unfortunately, ironically, this is exactly why some people never read the Bible. Uh, And many who have tried to read the Bible, this is why they don't get hooked on the Bible People who have never read the Bible often read it because they assume that the Bible is just theory, dry theology, and history. And those who've tried to read the Bible but have never got infected by the Bible, they chalk their failed attempt to get into the Bible as a legitimate proof that the Bible is just too hard to understand, and it's too theological, and it's not practical in any way, shape, or form. The truth is, the Bible is the ultimate how to build a ship manual. That the Bible is actually the most practical book that teaches us how to do life, how to live life. Now, certainly, there are many, many aspects of the Word of God that are deep and that are hard to comprehend. But it's in the lifetime journey of reading the Scripture and absorbing a little bit more every time you journey through the Scripture that God begins and God continues to build this understanding and this depth of, of resilience when you find yourself on a plane that is in trouble. So I want to encourage you that the Bible is worth reading. Uh, I did a little bit of s- uh, snooping on this church before coming this week and got on your website And uh, wow, I'm blown away by all the different studies that you have available. Men's studies, women's studies, Bible studies, small groups, foundation class that Pastor Mike teaches. Learn about the doctrines of the Assemblies of God, the the, the values, the core values of this church. And I just want to commend Pastor Mike and Trinette and the staff and you as a people. You're committed to God's Word. And uh, I just want to say, good job. Keep up with it. Because God's word is what gives to us the answers that we need to life. Every experience that we have in life. The Bible may not speak to every specific aspect or specific nature of what you're going through. But the Bible's principles and the truths of God's word speaks to every life condition to the human experience. And so as you... Ramp up again in January. I've ramped up again. I've made a commitment. I I came to Christ as a 15-year-old kid out of a mainline denominational church. I grew up with a healthy God consciousness. I believed in Jesus. I believed in God. I wanted to follow God, but I didn't have a personal relationship with Him. But when I was 15, I was invited to invite Christ into my life, and I did. And they said, you should go home and start reading the New Testament. I did, and the Word of God became alive to me. I couldn't put it down. I had literally become born again. The Spirit of God entered into my life, and, 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 and from my head knowledge of belief, it got into my heart and my soul. And from that year, summer of 1979, I've read the Bible cover to cover every year. Some years, I've read it more than one time through. Why do I, why do I have a voracious appetite for God's Word? Well, first of all, I believe. I, I, actually, I feel as though I got a late start. <laughs> compared to many of your children as you raise them in the church and you raise them in a church and in ministries that are emphasizing God's word I kind of had a late start. And I knew I had a call of God on my life for vocational ministry and so I knew that I had to catch up and I had to get the, I had to get God's word in my life. Now I've pastored for 30 years, and I'm 52 years old. I'll be 53 in February, and I still have that awareness that I need to continue to read and reread and study God's Word because the answers that I am going to need six months from now are not going to come from the Wall Street Journal, even though it's not bad to read the Wall Street Journal. But the answers, the deep answers to what I may have to go through in life are not going to come from the things of this world. They're going to come from the mind of God That is given to us in the scriptures. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Think of it. Lamps and lights are the most practical thing a person needs in a time of uncertainty. The illumination of truth. When you don't know what to do, when you are facing the impossibility, the illumination of truth, this is what Jesus was referring to when he was saying that if you'll do what I say, you will build your life on a rock. But it's hard to build on a rock when we don't have an appreciation and a hunger for what he's said as it's recorded in the scriptures. So the first thing that I want to encourage you towards God's Word, is that it gives us answers. The second thing that the Word of God gives to us is that it creates proper alignment in our life. Psalm 61.1 says this, Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For For automobile alignment... We're talking about making sure that those four tires are pointed in the right direction, the same direction. That if you hit enough bumps and you drive over enough curbs or you hit enough potholes, one of those wheels gets out of alignment. And what do you have? You have a car that pulls. And well, that's, that's the way of life. Our life Pulls. We get pulled to the left, we get pulled to the right because we lose alignment with the ways of the Lord. And if we get pulled too far out of alignment, we have a hard time getting back on the, on the road. We have a hard time getting back on track. Admiral Richard Byrd is a man who wrote a book in, in uh, 1938 and he entitled his book Alone. And uh, it's the story of an experience that he had In the South Pole, when he decided that he would uh, take an adventure to the South Pole and he would live by himself in a small cabin by himself for about six months. And uh, what he experienced was uh, aloneness, certainly solitary aloneness. And uh, in the South Pole, he was experiencing incredibly intense weather. uh, 40, 50, 60 below, constant uh, freezing temperatures. And uh, one day, he, after being cooped up in the cabin for days on end, he was feeling like he was going to go stir crazy, he decided that he would venture outside to get some fresh air. And so he bundled up as much as he could, just as warmly as he possibly could, he opened the door and he stepped outside... And he realized that it wasn't just the frigid temperatures that he'd have to deal with, but it was also this incredible fierce wind uh, along with this heavy blanket of snow that was falling. So he walked out of the cabin and walked about 20 yards and then he turned around and he noticed that he wasn't leaving any tracks because it was snowing that much that when he would pick up his feet, the snow would just fill that hole that his boots had made. Well, he continued on just a little bit further, and then he thought, hmm, how foolish would it be if I got lost and couldn't find the cabin? And so he turned around, and as he turned around, he saw nothing, a complete whiteout. Now, it's been said that the true measure of an individual is what they do and how they react when they're panicked. And Bird had to realize Slow down, don't panic. But he didn't see the cabin. And he didn't want to make a bad decision. So, with the heel of his boot, he began to chip away at the ice beneath him. And uh, he built a four-foot tower of snow and ice. Built this tower. And he used his flashlight, like this water bottle. And... uh, He's turning around, he can't see the cabin, and he doesn't know, is it over here, is it over here, is it over here? So rather than just wander off, he he built this four-foot ice uh, pillar, took his flashlight, and he pointed it in a direction, using it kind of as an arrow, and he walked, and he turned around. Okay, I can still see that pillar. I can still see it. Ooh, I can barely see it. I better not go any further. Now, can I see the cabin? I can't see the cabin. So am not sure. So i got to go back here. Okay. I'm going to move it just a little bit there. And he would do the same thing. And he would walk as far as he could until he could barely see the pillar. And he would see. Can I see the cabin? And he did that several times And he couldn't see the cabin when he would get to the end of, before he would lose visual sight here. So, what he did is, he did it again. Okay, I'm gonna go, go as far as I can, and that's as far as I can go. Okay. He took out another flashlight and he made another little arrow of direction. And from here, he went a little, and he built another uh, tower of, of ice and went as far as he could. He could barely see it, couldn't see the cabin. From here he turned. He did this enough times to where finally he went as far as he could and he saw the cabin. He was able to get back. How was he able to find that cabin in that whiteout? He had a reference point. He had a point of reference from which to find his way back to home. Now my question to you in light of that illustration is, What is your reference point? What is that thing, that person, that place, that truth, that source of unchangeable reality that you are anchored to that gets you through the whiteout of life? When you don't know where to turn, when you don't know what to do, when you don't know who to call on. The psalmist had it right. Psalm 61, let me read it again. Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. What is that safe reference point that never changes, that never moves? It's God's Word. It's God's Word. But we often get our eyes off of God's Word. And we get beyond sight of God's Word thinking that we can trust something else. And the result is that we lose our moral alignment. And don't we see that in our world today? We've left God's Word in the dust and, 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 and we have this upside-down concept of right and wrong. And it's the fulfillment of Isaiah 5.20 where the prophet says, Woe to those who call evil good, good evil. Those who call light darkness and darkness light. And those who call sweet, good, sweet bitter and those who call bitter sweet. We lose our, we've lost our moral alignment. We lose our integrity alignment. And we justify the, 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 the ends... We justify the means by the ends, and, and, and we, have our, we have our unethical decisions. We have all kinds of misalignment in our lives. So I want to encourage you, God's Word, God's Word is that, is that pillar of ice that leads us to that place of safety where God wants us to find Him. And the last thing is this, certainty from God's Word. The Bible is an anchor. The Bible is an anchor for us. Michael Plant was a well-known sailor and an adventurer. It had always been his dream, though, to sail around the world solo in a sailboat. And he had a boat, and the boat uh, he named the Coyote. And so uh, armed with lots of experience on the sea and lots of expertise, he had, uh, at that point in time, had the best technology on board his, uh, his vessel and so with all of that, he sailed off in an attempt to sail around the world all by himself. And no one was really nervous about the expedition because, again, Michael Plant had lots of experience. He had lots of expertise. He had, uh, he had a satellite communication system on board. And so there really wasn't any worry about him But there were several days that went on end where he had not given, provided radio contact. And again, no one was really worried because, uh, again, he had experience, had expertise, had all the technology. But several days turned into a couple of weeks, and finally the family decided, we need to uh, request an official search for our loved one. Plant was never found. His boat, though, the coyote, was found. But it was found in a peculiar position. It was found upside down. Now, an upside down sailboat is really quite unknown because sailboats are built so that even if they are flipped over, they will right themselves because of the weight, the, 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 the ballast, the weight on that keel underneath the hull. It will always right itself. But what they discovered when they found the coyote is that the keel was no longer attached And without the keel, without enough weight below the waterline, the coyote was vulnerable to any sizable wave or storm. And that's exactly what must have happened. It it, it must have detached without Plant even knowing because Plant had enough technology to give an SOS signal without any delay and he could have pulled a, a simple cord and it would have inflated the rubber raft. What they found on the coyote was the rubber raft Not deployed. Here's the point. Without enough anchoring weight below the waterline of our lives, uncertainty capsizes us. When we do not have enough weight below the surface of our life, even the smallest of problems and worries cause us to say, oh no, I'm not going to make it. But on the contrary... When we invest ourselves into God's Word, when we invest our time and our attention and our energy in what God says and His Word is eternal from eternal past to eternal future, what we're doing is we're adding more and more weight below the surface of our life. The problem, though, is that we become enamored by everything above the surface of life. And we begin to trust the car that we drive. We begin to trust the paycheck that we get. We begin to trust and we begin to live for all the things above the surface of our life. And then something happens. And we hadn't been investing in weightier things like God's Word, like God's people. Our our morality, our integrity. You see, when we have an anchored weight in God's word and we go through uncertainties, we are able to say, God's with us. When we have enough weight below the surface of life, and it doesn't, you can have a great car, you can live in a great neighborhood, you can have all the things that this world gives. Those things are not wrong. It's just when we trust those things to get us through life. So whether you have a lot or you have a little, that's not the point. The point is, what's below the surface? Do you have something weighty enough that causes you that when you're, the things of this world are threatened, you're able to say, you know what? God's with me. God's with us. It might be tough, but I can't wait to see how God's going to get us through this. So, I'll close with this. Psalm 119, verse 89 says, Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm to the heavens. Jesus said in John 6, 63, The words I speak, they are spirit, they are life. Psalm 107, verse 20, God sent forth His word and healed them and rescued them. And the very familiar passage in Isaiah 55, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts higher than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and it will achieve the purpose or the plan for which I sent it. CBS news correspondent Bob War said of the US Air 1549 incident, quote, he said this, it had all the earmarks of being a real heroic job done by the pilot, unquote. This in spite of the fact that fellow pilots weren't surprised at all about Sullenberger's decisive action under such incredible pressure. They weren't surprised that he succeeded in doing what he did. Why? Because Chelsea Sullenberger spent practically his entire life preparing for that five-minute crisis that was U.S. Airways 1549. He received his pilot's license at 14. He flew fighter jets in the Air Force. He was an investigator to disasters in, uh, in, uh, plane disasters. He had mastered gliding flying. And he even had studied the psychology of what happens in the cockpit when a crew has a crisis. So, with all of that training, when the ultimate test came his way on that descent into the Hudson River, Sollenberger spoke into the intercom only one time. And with great calm and confidence, he simply said to the passengers, Brace for impact. So as I close tonight, the uncertainties of your life, I don't know what they are. As I mentioned, I'm meeting the people of Cloquet and Good Hope Church for the very first time, so I don't know anything about you. But I know that God has a way of even causing a guest speaker to say some things and to present a message that almost makes maybe you feel like I'm reading your mail. I don't know. But I know enough about life and I know enough about what's happening in our world today that there's a lot of uncertainty. But I want to point you to the anchor. I want to point you to the alignment. I want to point you to the plan that has been made, that is in God's word, and His plan is good, and it's hopeful. And He's here to encourage you. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? Lord, we love you with all of our heart. And I don't know if it'll ever happen in my lifetime or it'll happen in the lifetime of these people that I stand before tonight, but it could come to an experience where you say to us, Brace for impact because something difficult is going to come. We don't ask for it, we don't pray for it, we do plan, we do prepare for it though. We prepare for it by offering our hearts to you, by offering our spirit to you, by offering our life, and by offering our commitment to be people of your word, reading it, studying it, knowing that it's from your word that we will survive whatever it is that we have to deal with in this life. Thank you, Lord. As the scripture says, in our hearts we plan our course, but The Lord establishes our steps. I pray tonight for people, whether young or old, men or women, God, whatever it is that might be pressing these dear people in the uncertainties that they face. May they be encouraged tonight, challenged perhaps, maybe even convicted. But all of that prompting would lead them back to your word, re-engaged, reinvigorated, knowing that the plan that you have for us It's not secret. It's not like a needle in a haystack. But it is discovered when we diligently are pursuing you in your word and in prayer and in fellowship. Thank you, Lord. I pray that the people of Good Hope Church here in Cloquet will be a a lighthouse, will will be people that as they gather on Saturday nights and Sunday mornings and on Wednesday nights and other times during the week, uh, they'll be encouraged to then fan out across this community as points of light, points of hope to a community that is filled with people who have no hope because they don't know Jesus. They've not been, they've never experienced the dynamic, life-changing power of your word. But may they experience it through us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I believe that uh, you have prayer teams and you have people here that are ready to minister to those that maybe need an encouragement. So prayer teams, why don't you come on down, and uh, if you need special prayer for what you might be going through, uh, before you leave tonight, let these folks pray for you. I will continue to pray for you long after I leave tomorrow after services, so appreciate the opportunity to minister to you. May you be blessed, may you be encouraged, and may you be anchored in the certainty of God's plan and His hope for your life. God bless you.